0: Hey Divine Gang Gang, I have a lot of topics here, but um, I'm almost thinking if I should just do a podcast that's just, I have questions, and then hash them out over the weeks to come. But I'm going to make this one really quick, and it, regardless of everything going on behind the scenes, and I said I had a few choice words for the whole immigration situation that was going on with the Haitians, you can probably see by the title. I'm going to go ahead and and go to the most altruistic, you know, divine spectrum, part of the spectrum. And just make it really short and say that, you know, for the Haitians, I would say I would love to see a Haitian Revolution 2.0 Um one of the things with the Haitians is that they're known for their history of fighting back against their oppressors and being one of the first to liberate themselves. And I'm recording this on the cusp of um, the missionaries being kidnapped. Now, this is the funny thing. Like I said, I, I have my thoughts and ideas that really are would be addressing the low vibrational low-frequency culture aspects of it, but for today, I think what's needed is you need to kind of, as a whole, remember who you are um, and what you're made of, and so with the kidnapping of the um, hostages, I actually don't believe the mainstream media's interpretation of this and the reason why is cuz when i was listening to one of the first reports it said that they were the um missionaries were caught were caught or were kidnapped on their way out of an orphanage now um this is not the first time that outsiders have cu- tried to come in and take children from um from haiti it happened last year um and they were trying to take them in the middle of the night type of a thing right and so then now you have these organization organizations or these predators who are going in under the guise of having the best interest and providing aid to the people when really they just end up you know getting these children trafficked god knows what they do with them because um if i think it was after the earthquake last year is when it started to come to the light right um there was an awakening and now we're now we're starting to have more open conversations about what's really happening every time they've been having these disasters you know um think from their hurricanes to their earthquakes to so people were just waiting for something to go about it get taken advantage of. So if there's just a massive earthquake and there's these children, the systems are down. Police are distracted with different things. Everything is in an upset. So by the time you turn around and try to figure out what's happening with little Linda Sue and little Mikey, they done been snatched. They gone, you know? And so, to me i was able to read be- between the lines i you know they're making it seem in the media like oh these missionaries were um were snatched and i think that it's a form of blackmail i am not endorsing it but i just found it weird that they're coming from an orphanage um and then that's when i think that whoever snatched them up was like okay well, you're either going to tell these people that you are out here trafficking these children, or you're going to pay ransom money. And I, they opted for the ransom money route. Um, and so leading back into my original point, it's like, uh, to the world, it's going to make it seem like you're not going to want to send foreign aid there. There's a lot of turmoil Um, going on in Haiti right now and there's a lot of infighting kind of similar to to Chicago to be quite honest I don't see how it's any different than what's going on in Chicago Um, it's mostly comprised of its own people um, and there's a lot of infighting there's a lot of um, crime against its own people but I think that I want to encourage you to look for like-minded people to unite and to have a revolution 2.0. I've been hearing talk that there's three families that control that, that section because it's half of an Island um, that is going through all of the turmoil. The other side shut down its, um, its wall and refuses to provide any aid and assistance to them. Um, but if anybody, I want to kind of remind you what courses through your veins, right? Um, that you're independent, that you're a warrior people, that you are willing to fight the oppressors and, um, and 2021, you have the more things in your favor to make that happen. Um, is it going to go without a fight? No, but then that's where you are more strategic <laughs> so you don't have as much bloodshed, but you obviously know that you need to um, turn against the people who are hurting your own people, set the standard. Because what I'm trying to say with the whole kidnapping thing too is no one else is really going to want to take that risk at this point of <laughs> going there and um, and subjecting themselves to 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 that um so it's gonna really come down to what you can do for for yourselves and for each other um I could kind of address it here and then just knock it out the park and then that way I'm keeping it pretty light and fluffy because uh to be honest I feel like with the whole when they um Haitians were stuck at the immigration border um in Texas I think that well, I think that it was surprising on both ends because there was expectation that more of the ADOS or FBA should be um, advocating for the Haitians. But the funny thing is, when I started to hear that language, I was like, I don't think Haitians identify as Black and they're notorious for coming to America and speaking ill of the foundational Black Americans and American descendants of slaves. And I think, were it not for that disconnect in that diaspora, you know, um, there would have been a little bit more advocacy from the African American community, you know, from the American descendant of the slaves and foundational Black Americans from here. Um, so that's part of the language that's being cleaned up right now. It's like, the language right now in the United States with foundational black Americans and ADOS is you cannot come here and disrespect everything that you're leaving your country to come here and try to get, take advantage of like, you know, they've the ADOS fought hard for you to get equal rights, equal opportunities to get um, equal housing and funding and equal education and to get the scholarships to go to school Right? um, And then for for not just that category, you get it a lot from Jamaicans. I have had, you know, growing up over the years, um, friends that were Jamaican and it's like they would speak so poorly of Eidos um, until they got pulled over. And then now all of a sudden it's like, I can't believe they pulled me over and it was so unfair and it was unjust and I'm going to sue. But and they'd be getting all the scholarships. They would be applying for all the, the African American BSU scholarships, you know. And then let them tell it. It's like, well, back in Jamaica, we're the smartest people and we're high IQ people. But okay, so if that's the case, how come you have like the poorest GDP? Like, I went to college. I sat in, um, Doctor. Almost said his name, um, Micro and macroeconomics class and they ran down the stats for us and they told us jamaica has one of the poorest gdps so how can it be that everybody from there is like from this island is the smartest people and they have the best system but their roads suck their economics suck but then you're gonna come here and then make it very blatant that you're not one of those people we're not like them Those days are over. Um, And I think, you know, this is a very interesting time in history because it was the same thing, too. um, When you look back to, I wasn't really prepared to go into this whole thing, but um, when you think about Nelson Mandela, part of the reason that he was able to further his efforts and to fight medical, medical, to fight um, apartheid, there in South Africa is because a lot of the American blacks were rooting for it. And they were, they were involved in an outcry and showing support for Nelson Mandela only for, for that, you know, all the countries in that continent to come here and just now call them all out of their names and call them a and, and, You know, you hear that a lot from Nigerians, too. Like, they just try to distinguish themselves. And so it's one of those times where everybody's catching smoke. Everybody's setting their standards. You can't come here and talk about, I know Black, I know Black, but you're going to apply for African-American scholarships when that should be going to those people. And you can't come here and try to fight for equal housing and expect equal employment from your coworkers, you know, but speak poorly of the people whose very backs it was built upon. You know, um, one of the things—the language that comes up—I think with Haitians too—is that they will say, "Well, we're not like the Eidos or FBA. Um, we fought. We had a revolution. We weren't. We didn't allow ourselves to be enslaved." Well, and so I'm going to wrap up with this. That same language like that you said with your chest you need to do a 2.0 show us what you're made of build your infrastructure you know raise your gdp continue to get the best schools get the, the lead in the sciences and show us what you're made of because clearly there you want to make a distinction without a difference i think that this conversation is important because at the end of the day i honestly do believe and and i do believe a lot of these things are divinely orchestrated i honestly believe that um some of that language had to happen with with the haitians being at the border they had to experience for themselves that America for the most part is anti-black. Some people missed it, um they thought that it was anti-immigration, but you have to understand that these people are playing chess and not checkers because um one of, there's okay, let's just talk about it since I'm in here. There's two things I want to address. I want to address how the congressional black caucus addressed it and I also want to talk about um Again, how other minorities leapfrog over the black community. Um, and there was there was one other thing that might come to me if it's meant to be, it will it will be on this podcast and not I'll address in another one, but if you even watch how the congressional black caucus um they had a press conference and it was one of those days where it started raining and pouring down. And so here you have all these members of the Congressional Black Caucus talking about what was going on with the, um, Haitian immigration situation. And, um, I'm going to be also doing a podcast about how there is no black and brown coalition. Um, um, like even with, with how the Asians got the anti-hate crime, they did that off of the civil rights movements of ADOS and FBA, but they haven't turned around to return the favor and say there should be, um, there shouldn't be hate crimes against Black people at all. And if, as a matter of fact, if anything, they've gotten more aggressive with the Black community, not just here, but in China and in Africa. And and the thing is, like, part of what, what I'm dealing with right now, too, and why I'm saying, like, I've been doing random videos, um, videos, podcasts, but a lot of this stuff is said with, I have stats on it. And I'm at a crossroads because I would really need to be able to now sit down with you and play the audio and pull the articles. And I think that um, I'm more of a commentary where I'm weaving together different parts and addressing the issues. But if you listen to the um, Congressional Black Caucus, there at one point, you know, they had Um, One guy come up and he talked about how this was important for the LGBT community. I kid you not, you cannot make this ish up. You cannot make this stuff up. He got up and he started talking about the LGBT community at the Congressional Black Caucus meeting press conference where they were trying to address Haitian um, immigration. And then after he spoke, this Hispanic woman came up and I cannot make this stuff up like let those who have eyes, let them see and let those who have ears, let them hear. She did not advocate, you know, to get rid of the mistreatment that was happening at the Haitian border. I mean, with the Haitians at the Texas border. No, she came on there and she asked Everyone there, because we—if you've been in meetings or you've been in those type of situations where people are kind of like lobbying and whatnot—she wanted to leverage the crowd and leverage the press that was there. She asked everybody there to please sign um, a ba- like a a ballot or some type of petition. Because she wanted to pass a law, And I guarantee you, she's going to take that that, um, petition, those signatures of all the people who were supposed to be there for the Congressional Black Caucus to address the situation with the Haitians and take it back to her Hispanic community and push their agenda. And that Hispanic community is never going to hear and or address and or advocate for the Haitians. I thought it was highly disrespectful. You see what i'm saying so but it takes me back to the point where i'm saying like this had to happen because this is kind of the opportunity for not just haitians but other um people from the african diaspora to start to realize the language and that you need to have respect if you want us to advocate for you to come here it's like that language had to happen but you had to feel the brunt of disrespect that it really is. And so um, I want to make sure I'm tying up the, the ends that I'm trying to say that this has nothing to do with anti-immigration as much as it has to do with anti-racist. And you will have, you know, I I have a um, podcast with Prager from Prager University where they're talking about, they, they will get these um, melanated people like this black guy from Africa. He will come here and he will t- tell you about, Oh, the the um people from here they they shouldn't be saying that there's racism. Okay, well, I was so mad with that video, like I just really went in on it. Um, and there was something if you if you actually look at the articles for um Dred Scott versus Anderson. When you, when I, when I'm talking about um, how a lot of the rights that the, you know, African diaspora take advantage of when they come to America off of the backs of FBA and ADOS, look at the at the um, Dred Scott versus Anderson case, where they were even making it seem like he was supposed to be immigrant and they didn't want to give him status and they had to fight that and that's what you're writing when you come here, you're benefiting from that, but you go turn around and disrespect those people, right? So a lot of this language is kind of like, it is divinely orchestrated because I think one of the biggest things that um, I do believe is divine source is planning. um, There's there's a quote that I heard, because like I said, I'm always learning, but I have a way of weaving things together Um, but I think I I could do a little bit better in kind of teaching you what I'm getting and how it's woven together. But there's a saying that says, um, he who controls the African continent controls the world, controls the world. Right. So, um, it, with that being said, I do also believe that, um, black people are in keeping with whatever divine source is not necessarily the Cesare Borgia Christian version way of doing things but i think that there's a lineage that that is connected to to the most high and so i feel like he's bringing his people together but like there's lessons that need to be taught like the same way that we're going through the retrograde that that removes people who no longer serves you and allows you to revisit the way you've learned things and heard things and had relationships and conversations to revisit them before you step into your abundance. That's what's happening with that whole situation at the, at the, um, at the border, man. I mean, when, when, when we talk about these conversations in our inner circles, a lot of us felt bad, especially like you will always hear it for our children, for those babies to go through, you know, what it means to, go through all that turbulence only to be turned back and to be flown back and, and the uncertainty that comes for those children, but those conversations had to happen. And then it's going to be only a matter of time where people start to realize like, you know what, we are better off sticking together, whether we're in China, in Africa, in the United States, in Canada, Central America, South America, right? And once we start to be in control of ourselves, because this is so fascinating to me, like when I tell you I have so many other topics on here, but they're all interwoven. Um, One of the things I want to address, even with the dating world, is I've noticed that some of the deviancies that are in the dating relationships come from these outside foreigners. Like I wanted to do something that talks about how Gandhi is the original misogynistic incel like, he's the original incel version, and just the other day I was talking about how this guy from India has an incel TV, it's called incel TV on YouTube, and but it's seeping into American culture, and now Black men are picking it up. Same thing with MGTOW. Um, To be surprised or not, I was talking a lot about how it's kind of uncomfortable conversations, but... It's uncomfortable to recognize that black men don't like their black women. But hey, 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 now don't don't get don't get it twisted. White men don't like their women either. That's how you have this whole MGTOW movement. Men going their own way. They're frustrated with the situation. But if you listen to the language, it's incel talk. And now what's happening is you have black men picking up the MGTOW, which is funny because one of the, the podcasts I want to talk about is you know, we are almost recreating what happened in the Garden of Eden. The um, Black woman Eve took from the tree of feminism and, and um, it was a downfall. Adam followed and took from that foreign thing that we were not supposed to, that's not ordained or for us. And it led to our downfall. And here we are on the verge of a second downfall in terms of women bit from the apple of feminism. And I had to learn from it. And, and it's interesting, I will say, like when I learned about um, feminism, the way they packaged it, I learned it in university and I still remember the book. I don't remember the name of the book, but I remember looking through the pages and the way they sold it is like, oh, you have the feminist who's concerned with like nature and environmentalism and recycling, blah, blah, blah. So in my mind, it's like there was nothing wrong with it. You know, this is from a Christian institution and I was one, a very minority one among many, you know, Caucasians. But at the end of the day, I will tell you this Black women have no, re- no, business being feminist it does not work for our community it just does not and so here we are you know there's a lot of men black men who are angry at women for having bitten into the apple of of feminism but guess what um adam is right here she's handed the apple to him and he is trying to decide if he should bite into this big incel Um, ideology which will not will which will further perpetuate the problem it's like garden of eden 2.0 all over again like if we think we're on the brink of destruction between black love and black community being able to thrive it's like is the black man going to be like you know what we're not going to take this ideology from India and or from the white man's way of doing things and we're going to be original, go back to our origins of what we were supposed to be. And that I, you know, is that a lot to ask from them? And do they want to, you know, be bitter and hold it over the woman? Yes. But I will say this too. Um, There's a promise in the book. It's called the ladder of Jacob. And in there, along with all of the other promises, <coughs> excuse me, it says that Yahuwah will restore Eve. So um, I would like to believe that our men have what it takes to push through it and to handle it. And there's going to have to be on both ends accountability. But I say all of that to say, you know, at the end of the day, everything is divinely orchestrated. Um, I would want to encourage, like I started off here, Haiti, you know, you have what it takes and it's not going to be easy, but you're not going to get any help from the outside. Um, You take pride in being able to free yourself from slavery and from being held in captivity. This is your time. Like, remember the blood that courses through your veins, you know, and show us how it's really done. You know, show us how it's really done. And um, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's because I don't see anybody sending help out there. Now, if anything... I'm so cautious of what's going on with, with Americans going over there too because the way the story is told to main, through mainstream media is like, oh, they killed their own president. That is completely false. When I tell you I have research that goes way further down beneath, one of the things with the president from Haiti is he took very much pride in that he didn't have to give his people the jab and they had very low RONA rates, right? Another little known thing about it is because I trade stocks, I know that there's a rush for precious metal. Um, and again, I'm running out of time because I like to keep these 30 minutes, but China is on a huge rush for precious metals along with Australia and the United States. And wouldn't you know that Haiti actually has iridium. If you look up the value of iridium, it is one of the most precious metals. I think it goes to like 500 gram, 500 um dollars a gram or something like that um, but the properties, the healing properties and the technological properties that can come from mining just like one ounce of iridium and I know that the president was very proud of the fact that not only did they have um that they did not, that they had a low Rona rate, right, infection rate but also they had um, iridium so now you have to pay attention to all of these American troops landing there and what are they mining and what other companies are they allowing to come in under the guise of wanting to help you and to have access to your precious metals and resources. It's like you're going to have to figure out how to do that and, and to protect yourselves. But I'm definitely rooting for you. Um, this one, I you know, you did get a little bit of the smoke, but I think that... Um, It's one of those things that's not happening to you, it's happening for you, and it's happening so that we can start to, you know, we can be salty about this for another hundred years, or we can say, you know what, you're right, we need to stick together in the the diaspora and really root for each other. But that means that that community is going to have to come correct along with the others. So, but yeah, just go for it. Remember the blood that courses through your, your veins. You've said a lot of this stuff with your chest. You've taken pride in that. And you're going to have to like really dig down and explore what it means to have a Haitian revolution 2.0. And that would be the best thing with that, because what you don't want is now you don't want to be held accountable to um, America. I'm going to tell you that right now, because if they're going to go in, they're going to take advantage of all of the resources there and the people are not going to be able to benefit. So this is one of those opportunities for you to take things into your own hands um, and figure out a way for the collective to get rid of the people that are doing them harm. Same thing with Chicago. Same thing with Chicago. The only thing is I can't think of any specific group in Chicago that has had an uprising to turn against, but you know, that's another topic. So I'm going to sign off here. Um, I'm going to continue to figure out which, which content I can try to put out. So I'm going to sign off with love, light, um, wishing you, charging you with health, wealth, wisdom, and prosperity until the next podcast. Peace.